Good morning. I don't know about you, but I feel like I am watching a pastor in the making, watching Matt George. Already a youth pastor, already uh, leading a booming middle school and high school ministry. In Gable's words, the best in the city. But Matt, we are so honored to watch God's gracious hand on you and watch him elevate you. I want to declare over you, as great as you are now, you are not half of what you are becoming. He has great things on you, and you're going to be a pastor, maybe in this city, maybe in another city, maybe in this church, maybe in another church, but good things to come. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless Matt, I pray you bless Catherine, some of you right behind him, Cole, put your hands on him. Lord Jesus, we declare that this young couple is a couple that is filled with your spirit. This is a young couple that has been commissioned by the very presence and person of Jesus to carry the gospel of Christ Jesus into a lost and broken world. And as this is a man who is under authority, you are raising him up to be a man in authority. And Lord Jesus, even on this Sunday, we commission him in the name and by the blood of Jesus. And we say, we see and we agree with what you're doing in him. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm in uh, Hebrews 11. How many of you got my email? I talked to a few people who didn't. Did we get some emails? Okay, we got a few. All four of you. Way to go. (laughs) Yes, I love when email works. If you're not on our email list, you'll have to, I guess, shoot uh, Vicki an email. She's vicki at myrtlegrove.org or drop by the church office. But I'm in uh, Hebrews 11. I don't know if you're like me, but a lot of times as people, we avoid talking about the hard stuff, don't we? And Abby and I, in our marriage and in our family, we are committed to talking about the most difficult things. We've even given our children total freedom. You can come to us anytime, place. Now, how you say it matters. You can't go yelling, you can't go throwing things, you can't pitch a temper tantrum, but you can say anything. And I want to talk about a couple of hard things this morning. We are a church in transition, aren't we? Yeah, that's real, isn't it? And transition can be um, painful, it can be scary. It can be frustrating. Probably every one of us here has an opinion on who the next senior pastor should be. Some of you are like, yay, Michael. Some of you are like, no, Michael. Some of you are like, oh, God, help us. (laughs) It's okay. I want to say to you this morning, it's okay. If you're new here with us this morning, if you've never been here, I want to welcome you into our family. There's nothing slick about us this morning. There's nothing polished, but we are authentic, and we are real, and the presence and power of Jesus is on this house. It has been on this house for a number of decades, and it's going to continue to be upon this house for a number of decades to come, and it will remain no matter who the next senior pastor is. I heard John Gonzalez. Hallelujah. But I want to talk about some of those things 
We sat in our staff team meeting the other day, and I said, uh, we always do a um, uh, kind of a staff development time. Sometimes we're listening to a teaching, or we're in a book, or we're listening to a chapter, or something. And we're always discussing it. In this particular staff team meeting, I said, number one, I want you to tell me the most challenging thing about where you're sitting, professionally, here at church, your ministry. Number two, the most hopeful thing. And number three, how we can help. And to a person, we went all the way around the room and everyone said, more or less, the most challenging thing is the transition that we're in. That's real, isn't it? They also said, get this, the most hopeful thing is the transition that we're in. You know, life is, in many ways, is about change. It always changes. We change our clothes every day, don't we? Come on. We change our haircut. Some of us, some of us can't. Life is about change. Those of us with kids and grandkids, we watch them grow and change. And it's a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing. Our, our little girl just turned 12. 12 years old. I'm like, oh my goodness, how did I have a 12-year-old? But see, change is beautiful. But it can be painful. And it can be scary. So let's dig in here. Um, and you know what? Before I do, I was supposed to say a couple things about power camps. Let me say that real quick. Who's wearing their bracelet today? A few bracelets. A couple, four. We had power camp Sunday a few Sundays ago. There's four ways to get involved. Number one is to wear your bracelet to remind you to pray for all the little campers. We're approaching 500 campers already registered for camp this summer. Pray. Wear your bracelet. Pray. Pray for a move of God's Spirit. Pray for little revivals among little people. And those little people carry those, the Spirit of Jesus home to their families. And their families see an awakening. The Lord likes to use the foolish and the weak things. The children to carry Jesus into their homes. That's number one. Number two is to volunteer. I don't care how old you are or how able-bodied you are, you can volunteer. Drop by the office, send Vicki an email. Number three is to give. You can give financially. And we have a family right here who said, Michael, we're going to give up to $15,000 to match how much Myrtle Grove gives towards Power Camp. So every dollar that you give sort of goes along with the dollars that they're giving to fund four or five different scholarship aspects. You can find out more about that either on our website or I think we have an email that went out or is going out. I don't know. <clears throat> and the last way is to adopt. There's a number of things, people, coaches, staff nights that you can adopt. So don't forget about Power Camp. I also need to say one other thing. Kyle Pennington came up to me. Where's Kyle? He's a deacon. Duke would be so proud. Is he here? No? He went. He's deaconing, doing his job. Good. Um, Kyle Pennington came up to me and said, Michael, I've been sharing Jesus with somebody in my neighborhood. I'm like, wow, awesome. This is this morning, an hour ago. Can I have a scholarship for their um, child to go to camp? He's like, do we have enough? And I'm like, yes, of course. This is exactly what we're trying to do. Would you please? We gave, we're getting him a scholarship code. We're getting him a T-shirt and a bracelet. And he and his wife are, are busy sharing Jesus with this family, and they're getting their child into camp. Isn't that cool? That's what this is about. It's about sharing Jesus with the unchurched. It's about the people out there, not the people in here. Oh, God's got good things for us, Myrtle Grove. God's got good things. Okay, uh, let's see. We are in Hebrews 11. Hopefully you've read ahead. I'm going to read uh, the first couple verses, then I'm going to read a couple verses at the end, and then we're going to dig in. Now, faith 
is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. All right? Jim, let's go to the last couple verses. This is Hebrews 11, verses 28 through 34. Most likely Paul writing here, and he says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, about David and Samuel and all the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, who escaped the edge of the sword, and get ready for it, church, here it is, whose weakness was turned to strength. And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Lord Jesus, as we share this morning, Father, as there is unease in our house, as there is dis-ease over this transition, as there are some who are impatient, as there are some who are frustrated, as there are some who are clinging to you, and as there are some who are scared, I pray that on this morning and on this day that you would meet with us and you would commission this house again. You have called and equipped Myrtle Grove to reach into the city of Wilmington and to transform its people, to be a beacon of light and hope, to break the Cape Fear, the fear over the Cape Fear region. And Lord, I pray that you would commission us as a church and you would call us higher to trust you, first of all, and our search committee, second of all. Lord, would you let our weakness this morning be turned to great faith, and great strength because of Christ in us. In your name I pray. Amen. Uh, next slide, Jim. I want to open with a quote, too. Uh, this is by A.W. Tozer. Um, I love A.W. Tozer. This is from his book, God's Pursuit of Man. Who's read that? Let me just see some hands. We've got a few people. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. It is powerful. Change your life. So here's the quote. Soon he, a believing man, learns to love, above all else, the assurance that he is well-pleasing to the Father in heaven. Here's the key. It is complete switch in their pleasure source that has made believing men invincible. So could saints and martyrs stand alone, deserted by everyone and every earthly friend, and die for Christ under the universal displeasures of mankind? Now here's what I want to say to you this morning. All of Hebrews chapter 11, it goes through one person after another from the beginning all the way to the end. And we are not going to go verse by verse and look at all of those people. But I started going, what is it that all of these people have in common? Because every one of them came face to face with transition. They came face to face with problems. They came face to face with death. Many of them died for Christ. But I began to go, what is it that makes these people invincible? That's what Tozer's saying. What is it that transformed us weak, insecure people? Who's insecure? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm insecure. Come on, Pastor Steve's insecure. Thank you. There's three of us in the room. The rest of you people can go home. What is it that can take the weak and the insecure person and transform them when Christ is fully in them to an invincible person that can stand alone and even die for Christ? What is that? Let's take a quick look at, I think there's four things 
that sort of illuminated to me out of this chapter that every one of these people I think has in common that made them invincible. Number one, the exchanged life. The exchanged life. I don't have this in your notes, so if you have a, the back of your bulletin, write it down. The exchanged life. Abby and I just did a, a blessing service for our daughter Eve. She was turning 12 years old, and uh, we wrote her a three-page letter. We got her a really cute little ring. We had a little gathering of some family and friends, and we prayed for her. We blessed her, and we called her in to being a young woman. Somebody said, Michael, was that ring a promise ring? Absolutely not, was my answer. That ring symbolized multiple commitments, first from her God to her, and secondly from her back to her God. And one of them did include her sexual purity. But is that thing a promise ring? Absolutely not. Because it goes a lot deeper than that, doesn't it? Now, we had this blessing service. Remember the exchange life, that's what we're talking about. The four things, what makes everybody invincible in Hebrews, don't forget. First thing, the exchange life. In the Old Testament, there was a story. A guy named uh, Israel has a son named uh, Joseph. You guys remember the story. Joseph gets sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt, yada, yada. Okay, uh, Israel's about to die. And Joseph is sitting there with his two kids, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, typically, the older kid gets blessed with the right hand in, uh, in, in Hebrew tradition. And the younger child gets blessed with the left hand. He has both these children in front of him. And you know what he does? He exchanges his hands. He takes that, the right hand of promise, the right hand of blessing that was reserved for the older child, and he puts it on the younger child, and he takes the, the uh, lesser blessing... And he puts it on the older child. And Joseph thinks his dad's senile. I'm like, whoa, dad, don't do that. You've got to shift your hands back. And Israel says, no, no, no. And it was a foreshadowing of the exchange that would happen between us and Christ. Got it? Christ is the firstborn. Christ carries the blessing. Christ and us. And there's an exchange that happens. It's the exchanged life is the first thing I see in all of Hebrews 11. Everything I see here, every person I see here grasps the exchanged life. Something that I think is fascinating is Hebrew 11.26, if you're in your Bible. I just want to read this. This is uh, talking about Moses right here. He, Moses, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt... Because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, wasn't, didn't Moses live before Jesus? He, he, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. How does that work? God exists outside of human time. From the beginning to the end, he is. I am. That is his name. These people in the Old Testament, even before Christ, at some level understood the big exchange. The exchanged life is number one. And church, let me tell you, you can live in that promise today. I don't care where you are or where you're sitting. You might be frustrated because of transition in your personal life. I was even thinking as I came in here, one of the transitions I hate most, being totally honest, is moving. I hate, you hate moving too, somebody? 
I hate, I mean, I don't know. People call you up and they're like, hey, Michael, we're having a moving party. We're going to serve pizza. Transitions aren't fun, are they? They are not fun. Not being silly about moving. But transitions can bring out at some level the worst of us. If you're like me and someone calls you to a moving party, you make up all manner of things. Oh, well. Number one, the exchange life. What do all these people in Hebrews 11 have in common? How did they come face to face with transition, with death, with massive scary things and overcome? Number one is the exchange life. Number two. I want to say one more thing about the exchange life. God has enormous expectations on his bride. I got a little tightrope. I got to walk here and I got to say a couple sentences about it because it's really important. I talked, it's been maybe a month or two ago, about the judgment seat of Christ. And every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we've done. That's scary, isn't it? If you're not careful, you can get into performance and works-based righteousness. I got to work harder. I got to stop and pray for another person. I've got to get out and do something else, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Life in Christ is this exchange where it's all of God in all of me. Will we stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Yes. Will we give an account for what we've done or not done? Yes. The judgment is based on our surrender to Christ Jesus. You follow me? It's all of him in all of me. The question is not, Elizabeth, how many good things have you done? The question is, how surrendered have you been to Christ? That is what we will stand and give an account for. It's all of him and all of me, which brings us to my second point. Number one is everyone in Hebrews chapter 11 exhibits the exchanged life. Number two, everyone in Hebrews chapter 11 exhibits the surrendered life. God does and will expect enormous things from his church, from Myrtle Grove. But it is about how surrendered we were to the person and presence of Jesus. I believe God expects us to even surrender to the work of the search committee. Don't meddle, Michael. Oh, I'm meddling. I know Pastor Ron Rowden, who heads our search committee, and I want you to say there is no one I would trust more to chair that committee. And I want you to know, church, that if they call someone else, I will trust it as the word of God, and I will pack up and roll. It's okay. I trust the search committee because God's hand is on them. I want to say something else about Pastor Ron, and this is not his opinion, this is my opinion, so don't hold him to this. This is me. But I believe that Pastor Ron was part of a search that chose the wrong man. I'm not going to go into it, but I believe in his life, I sat with him, that he experienced a search committee that chose the wrong person for the job. They didn't choose him, and I think he was right. 
which makes me trust him more. Some of you younger generation who are sitting out here today and you're frustrated with the timing. What in the world are we doing? What are we waiting for? I want to stand before you too and say, if perchance they do call me, I am so grateful it's been so long. I am so grateful there's a search committee because I don't want anybody saying, well, they just put you in there because your daddy was in there. Come on, you've said it in the back hallway. I see Sylvia shaking her head at me. You've whispered it. Come on. Isn't that the truth? Haven't we thought it? I've even thought it. Do you think they're just going to put me in there because my daddy was in there? A few years ago, I was in my office. It's probably been actually five, six years. It's a long time. And I had an elder walk into my office and say, You told your daddy. I took it for a minute. And then I went, time out. Sir, my daddy is not on this hallway. When I go to Pastor Steve's uh, home, I walk in and I say, hey, Dad. But when I see him on this hallway, I say, hey, Pastor Steve. So if I have done something to you or if I've said something to Pastor Steve or Jim or somebody else that you want to talk to me about, I'd love to talk to you. But we're going to have to start this meeting over. And we did. We did. My daddy doesn't work here. Myrtle Grove, the best days are ahead. I'm telling you, God has good things for this house. His heart is so good and His promises are so good. And you can trust, you can submit, you can surrender, you can call it whatever you want to our search committee and to our elders because not only is God in them, but even if they think they're going one way, guess what? God can lead circumstantially. Boom, no. Boom, yes. Boom. You can trust them. I want you to follow my lead on this today. You can take a big, deep breath. God's not wringing his hands. He's not uptight. He's not worried. He's not concerned. He's got a call on this house. He has a call on this house, and he will be faithful to his promises regardless of how you feel today. Regardless, he will be faithful. My friend David Hartness likes to say, there's three groups of people. He's probably sitting up here somewhere. There's three groups of people at Myrtle Grove. Those for Michael, those against Michael. And those who are just going to do what the search committee says. And you know what? He's right. And church, I want you to take a big deep breath today. It's okay. It is okay. God's will is going to be accomplished. Breathe deep. All right. Number three, what makes all of these people in Hebrews 11 survive the transitions that they face? Number one, the exchanged life. Number two, the surrendered life. Number three, the obedient life. The obedient life of Christ. I just picked on David Hartness, so I've got to say something about him that I respect enormously. David, are you here? There he is. <laughs> no, I like that. Somebody, uh, I was with him the other day, and somebody came up and said, what, what are you doing at Myrtle Grove? And he said, I'm called. I'm called. I'm called! God has called me to plant my feet and sink my roots in, and until he calls me to move, I will not leave. 
Church, you've got to get something here. You want to be great in the kingdom of God. You choose obedience. You set your course. You toe the line. You follow Jesus when it doesn't make sense. When people are against you. When people don't like what you're saying. When people curse you. You set your course. I will because Jesus has called me. I respect David Hartness's socks off for that comment. People are leaving Myrtle Grove right and left, aren't they? Each other elephant in the room. We could all probably say six or eight names. Maybe more, 10, 15, 20 people that we love who've left. Where are you going? Maybe God's called them elsewhere. <laughs> if you guys didn't hear that, Jerry said probably not. The obedience to the call is imperative. And I want to call you today to take your faith off of the candidate, take your faith off of the search committee, and put, them in, put it in Christ Jesus. He will have His way. Because God's call is on Myrtle Grove. It has been since the beginning. And He is not done with this church. If we will be obedient... What I love about Hebrews chapter 11 is you see a group of people who are obedient at no matter what the cost. Every one of them. Every one of them. I read that passage and I'm thinking of Samson who's had his eyes gouged out and he's standing between the two pillars at the Philistine temple and he's lived in some sin and he surrenders his heart. He brings his heart back into the obedience of Christ Jesus and he says, Lord, one more time. And then he topples those pillars. It's obedience to the call. I don't care whether you like Myrtle Grove today. I don't. Abby and I don't get up in the morning and come here because we like it. We come here because we're called. Where are you called? And if you're not called to this house... I would welcome you to scooch on down the road. If you are called here, I would welcome you to stop complaining. I would welcome you to start surrendering. I would welcome you to start submitting. If I have a concern with the younger generation, with the millennial group of which I am one, it's that we don't want to submit. We don't want to come under. We want to change everything. We know better, don't we? Well, if we did this, if we'd only get rid of the green carpet... If we'd only change the music, if we'd only... Ah, I've heard enough. Millennials, show me that you can follow Jesus in obedience. And if he's called you here, then you plant your feet like David Hartness. You let your roots go down. And you be a part of the transformation in what God wants to do in and through Myrtle Grove. Stop sitting back and complaining and fussing and backbiting and finger pointing. God's hand is on this house and the only one who can damage that is us. The only one who can stop the power and presence of Jesus from going forth from this church into this city is us. Let's be a church that grasps the exchanged life that grasps the surrendered life, that grasps the obedient life. Whether you like it or don't, determine whether you're called. And if you're called, get on board.
Stop fussing. Choose to trust our session. Choose to trust our search committee. And here's what I would say, millennial group. God's probably given you insight in things that need to change. You know how people get the right to change things? You shut your mouth. You get on and you start shouldering some of it. And you start carrying. And let me tell you something about this house. As you shoulder the weight of what God is doing in this house and in this city, you will be promoted and you will be allowed to carry and make decisions. Duke was just up here going, who will be an elder? Some of you millennials need to put your name forward. Who will be a deacon? You want to make a change? Shoulder it. And if you're called here, be like David Hartness and don't leave unless God transfers your call. And if he transfers your call, you better pack up and roll. Amen? Because it's about obedience to the person of Christ Jesus. Number four is the courageous life. Number one is the exchange life. Number two is the surrendered life. Number three is the obedient life. Number four is the courageous life. God's given us brains, hasn't he? God's given us human wisdom, hasn't he? Human wisdom and human brains ought to be used in every meeting and in every decision and everything we do at the church. But it all ought to be subservient to the lordship and direction of Christ Jesus through his Holy Spirit. And there have been times in this history of this church where we've made mistakes of operating more like a business than like a family. Yeah? No more. We are a family. We are a family. Now, do we use business principles? You better believe it. You'd be a fool not to. Do you budget your money? You ought to. You ought to. You ever heard of a business that doesn't have a forecast? Can you imagine a church or a family that doesn't have some sense of their finances? You can't ignore those things. You'd be a fool not to, to, to absolutely ignore those things. If I gave a shout out to somebody else, it'd be to Jack Bohr. He takes a lot of heat around here. I don't know why. But that man has kept us out of the weeds financially for 27 years. 27 years! He has served faithfully here. He has kept us. There are churches around this country who get into all manner of financial craziness. And if you want some examples, go talk to Phil back here, Phil Stump. He's an elder. He'll tell you about all sorts of churches that have gotten amok because of financial things. Thank God for men like Jack Bohr. Now that business savvy must be subjected to the lordship and direction of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we lead the church forward. That's how we do it. We're called to be a family. But the courageous life is at times God may call us to do things that don't align with conventional wisdom. In fact, I'd go so far as to say, if perchance the search committee does call me, which I have no idea what they're doing, but if they do, that probably doesn't align with conventional wisdom. Let me to say that again? If perchance the search committee does call me, and I have no idea if they will or not, and it really makes no difference to me on this particular day, but that probably does not align with conventional wisdom. 
Some of you are glad to hear that today. Thank you, Pastor Jim, from one bald head to another. I'm running out of time here, but one of my favorite things in Hebrews 11 is that <clears throat> Gideon, you guys know Gideon? Biggest scaredy cat in all of Israel, and it says it in the Word. Read it. Check it out. It's in like Judges 7, I think. Judges 7 or 8. But Gideon, he gets down to 300 people. Some of you guys watch our attendance, right? Oh, my goodness, our attendance. Oh, my goodness, we're falling apart. We're breaking it up. Where is everybody, Jerry? What are we going to do? We get up here. Who's going to be our elders and deacons? Gideon took 300 men and defeated several hundred thousand. God sent home a group of like 20,000 Israelites, and he sent 10,000 more home, and he left 300 of the weakest in Israel, the most unlikely candidates. And he took those guys with a jar and a torch. What? And then not only with those 300 men, he split the 300 into three little armies of 100 each. And they went down into this camp. And they threw their jars, cracked them, and all chaos rose out of these multiple couple hundred thousand men. And they won the day. God loves to use the weak. God loves to take what's broken and make something beautiful. God loves to take what does not make any earthly sense and use it to establish his rule and reign on the earth. Because the kingdom of God is very different than the kingdom of men. The courageous life is number four. And I want to remind us of something. <clears throat> Jesus reserved his greatest criticism in the New Testament for those whose theology, orthodoxy, and adherence to the book of order was most complete. Jesus reserved his greatest criticism for the religious people of the day. And in my opinion, there should always be an element of, Lord, let us stay wholly dependent and wholly surrendered to you as we move forward in courage. And if you try to get out there on your own, doing it in your own steam, being religious, thinking you know best, you may have another thing coming. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Joshua 1, 1 through 9, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous three times. Be strong and courageous. Once God has established the exchange life, the surrendered life, the obedient life, and the courageous life, it is time to move forward. I want to end with something very unusual today. I have a declaration <clears throat> that I wrote. I believe it transcends whoever the next senior pastor is, whatever the timetable is, none of that even matters. It's a declaration over this house and over Myrtle Grove's call. I want to read it to you. And then I'm going to ask who will participate in it. Jim, will you change that slide? I believe that the power, presence, and person of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are here. Okay? I believe in the call of God on Myrtle Grove. All right? I believe God has called Myrtle Grove to be a church of size and influence. Okay? Next slide. I believe Myrtle Grove, I believe God has called Myrtle Grove to influence this city and this region with the gospel of Christ Jesus. I believe the days of promise are ahead and not behind. Here's a big one for some of you. 
I will pray for and trust the search committee. I will choose faith and hope over frustration and impatience. Next slide, last one. I will humble my heart and pray for God's call on Myrtle Grove and for the next senior pastor. I will raise up in faith with my church family and stand on the promises of God. And I believe that God will use the Gideon's army here at Myrtle Grove to carry the gospel to expand the kingdom. Amen. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm not going to ask everybody to stand on your feet. I want to know if you will stand with me today. And you'll declare that. We're going to start over at the first slide. No music. No frills. Declaration from the people of God. Wilbur Davis, can you join with me on that? You can? Will you stand? John Rubel, can you stand? Jack Bohr, are you up there? David Raines, will you stand with us and declare that? James Halls, will you stand and declare that? Patsy Lennon, are you in the house? Ellen Anderson, are you in the house? Freddie's going to stand. Peggy, Laney, will you stand and declare that with us? Will anybody else stand and declare that? Jim, we're going to start over <clears throat> on these three. And at the end of that, when we say amen, I'm done. I'm walking down to greet and give some hugs. There might be some people up here if you need special prayer. But the intentionality of this is to be very solemn and very purposeful. To make a declaration together under God. Can we do that? I'm going to turn my mic off. I believe. Amen. Be blessed as you go.